0: We now hit a really important aspect of the book of Exodus. We've had a lot of introduction into this book preparing us in regards to this being uh, God's picture book of redemption. He's going to show us in this book how God is going to save his people. And by saving Israel, he is foreshadowing all the pictures of how he's going to save the world when Christ comes. In Exodus chapter 5, we're coming to a moment here that is one of the other key purposes of the book, which is to teach us who God is. If you remember back in chapter 3 of Exodus in verse 13, we saw there that one of the first questions Moses has is, well, if I go back to Egypt and talk to the people of Israel and talk to the elders of Israel, who shall I say sent me to them? And God then gives an answer... I am who I am and gives a a very lengthy explanation in chapter 3 about this is who I am and this is what I do and you go and tell the people that and remember that's exactly what then Moses is going to do in in regards to telling the people this is what he's come to accomplish chapter 5 now opens with now it's time for that deliverance to begin and you'll notice in verse 1 we read of Exodus 5 Moses and Aaron here uh, afterward Moses and Aaron went and And said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And so now they finally now come into the presence of Pharaoh. We've had all of this warm up and preparation for this moment. And listen then to Pharaoh's response in verse 2. He says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. This response, this question that Pharaoh has, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, is going to be answered not only in these early chapters, and not only in the plagues, but really is God's answer in the whole book of Exodus. The whole book of Exodus lays out, here's why you should obey me. In fact, if you remember a few weeks ago, I said, you can use that as really the picture of all of Scripture. That God is revealing His character so that we would know this is why you obey Him. What makes this question, I think, even more particularly interesting is because Pharaoh is not saying this so that he is going, you know, I just don't know who this Lord guy is that you're talking about. If, you know, I had a little bit more information about who he was, you know, then I would maybe consider letting him go. But since I don't know who God is, I will not let him go. That's not what Pharaoh is saying. Pharaoh is saying, who is this God, this Lord to tell me what to do? You're saying that this Lord you follow, He says the Lord, the God of Israel, is telling me to let these people go. Who is the God of Israel to tell me what to do? And I hope you realize the relevance of that response. Because that is society today that says, who is God to tell me what to do? And God's answer in this book is extremely important to the 21st century of how God answers, this is why you obey me. This is why you do as I say. Because this is the very thing that people want to ask. Well, who is this God that tells me what to do? It's fine if he tells you what to do, and it's fine if you believe what you want to believe, but how dare you tell me that God says I have to do something? And that's exactly what Pharaoh is saying. That's exactly the problem Pharaoh has with what Moses and Aaron are saying here. And so I want us to see this is the backdrop of what God is coming to do to answer. As you read the book of Exodus, you will notice many times, we'll look at it in the next lesson in Exodus, that God will keep saying that this is so that the people will know. The Egyptians will know or that all the earth will know who I am. All of this is going to happen so that people will know this is who God really is. This is the Lord that you obey and the Lord that you serve. Now, you can imagine that Moses and Aaron have come back to Egypt and have told them, this is what God says. We're going to be set free. And it's time for our deliverance. You can only imagine the excitement, the joy, how exciting it would be to know that God has visited His people and now is the time for redemption. Now we're going to be set free. Now everything is going to go great, right? And so you can imagine what the expectation of Israel would be at this moment. Moses and Aaron walk in and say, all right, the God of Israel says to let my people go into the wilderness. Pharaoh goes, I'm not going to let him go. In fact, notice in verse 3, Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. And I think it's important to get a sense of what they're saying here. To speak to Pharaoh and say, The God of heaven here, the God of Israel, tells us if we do not go and worship Him, We're going to be judged for that. We're going to be struck down by sword or pestles. That would have resonated with Pharaoh. A pagan worshiper would understand. If you don't do what your pagan gods say, what are they going to do to you? Well that. And so very relatable to say, this is why we need to do this. Now, what is interesting is a lot of people read verse 3 and say, now Moses and Aaron are being disingenuous, aren't they? Because have they come to be able to go for a three days journey in the wilderness and worship God and then come back? No, God has said, I'm setting you free and I'm going to wipe out Egypt in the process. So exactly what is going on in verse three, when Moses and Aaron are saying, let us go into the wilderness for three days. And I submit to you, what is happening here is that God is offering to Pharaoh a very simple opportunity to obey. You notice the request is not the very big one, rather, Pharaoh. I know you have all these workers who are building you all these great things and doing all this, and I think you should just let them go. <laughs> you always going to go, no, I'm going to lose my workforce here. It's a very simple opportunity. Three days. Let them go for three days and let them worship God. Let them go worship their God. And what this is setting up then is this question. Will Pharaoh accept God's authority and say, okay, since the God of Israel, the God of heaven says to allow these people to worship for three days in the wilderness, that's all we're asking here, or will he set himself up as the ultimate authority and say, nobody tells me what to do. We're pretty aware of how Pharaoh's going to roll with that in terms of, you're not going to tell me what to do. And what Moses and Aaron, I do not believe what they're asking here is disingenuous in the slightest. God is fully aware that Pharaoh is not going to listen. He's already told Moses that. You're going to go and you're going to make all these requests. Pharaoh's not going to listen. We're going to read about Pharaoh hardening his own heart. We're going to read about the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. We'll talk about that when we get there. And so this text is laying it out already. Let me just give you a simple a obstacle, a simple hurdle. Will you let the people go for three days in worship? Verse 4 The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Do you get a sense of what had happened? Moses and Aaron had made this request, and it sounds like all of Israel said, We're waiting anxiously. They all stopped working. And they're going, we're out of here, right? All right, Moses They're going to walk in, let the people go. It's going to be great. Here we go. And Pharaoh goes, why do you have your people stop working? Get back to work and do what you need to be doing. Verse 5, Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of the bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Those affairs says, well, no, the reason why you want three days to go worship your God is because you're lazy. Apparently you have too much time on your hands and that's why you want to go worship your God. So let me deal with your extra time. I'm going to take away the straw that was provided for you to build the bricks. You're now going to have to gather your own straw and still build the bricks all the more. And to the same quota that was given to you before. Because you apparently are lazy people. That's how Pharaoh responds. I want you to see what happens here as Pharaoh just makes their lives more difficult. If you remember from the first couple of chapters, how easy was the life of the people of Israel up to this point? Well, you know, was it you know hammocks and coconuts and all? No. Remember, they're being afflicted severely. Their baby boys are being thrown into the Nile. They're already just suffering severely. And now Moses and Aaron finally come and say, Let them go worship this God in the wilderness, and look at what the result is. Things got terribly worse. In fact, verse 10, So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced at the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day. As when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had sent over them, were beaten and were asked, why have, you done all, why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? The foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. Here are the foremen. Here are these Hebrews who are over the Israelite slaves. And the taskmaster is saying, You've got to keep making the same amount. They're saying, That's not possible. And they cry out to Pharaoh, you can't expect that of us. And Pharaoh goes, says, You're lazy. Because you said you want to go worship your God. That's why I've made things difficult for you. Have you noticed the frequency in which scriptures show that doing God's will can make your life more difficult? That happens a lot in the scriptures and you may have very well experienced that in trying to do what is right and trying to serve the Lord and trying to obey him with all of your heart. You may recognize that this is the very thing that can happen is that trying to do what is right and trying to obey the Lord and do what is right and good and fair and just and obedient to God causes you even more trouble, which in our minds doesn't compute, right? We think, okay, if I'm trying to do what's right, things should be easier. God's going to, you know, pave the way. He's going to be just, you know, beautiful and perfect. And I want you to just think about how often that's actually the case. How about a classic example? John the Baptizer, why does he lose his life? Because he's doing what God told him to do. And in fact the doubt that you see John the baptizer express, right? If you imagine what I put on there, Matthew 11, verse 12. Remember, here he's in prison. He sends sends the message to Jesus and says, are you the one? Because this isn't going according to plan. You know, we had an idea of how this was going to go. You know, I'm the forerunner. We're going to preach. People are going to repent. You have an idea of how this is going to go. And John's now in prison and he's sending a message saying, are you the one? Are we supposed to look for someone else? And you know John knew the answer to that. But sometimes that's the doubt that comes in when life doesn't go according to plan because you're trying to do what God says. In fact, notice how that plays out here in this very scene. Verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. All the foremen of Israel they come to Moses and Aaron and say, "The Lord judge you guys. You came to us and said we were going to be delivered, and you've made it worse. You've made it worse. We're now a stink before them. They're about to kill us. The sword is right there at our necks." You've made things worse. Notice Moses' response, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, "Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Even Moses goes, This isn't going according to plan. I thought we were walking out of here. <laughs> I thought it was going to go a whole different way. How often we do that and think, well, because I'm trying to set myself on the right path and do what is right, it's going to make life easier. And how often it's going to make life harder. Trying to do what is right does not mean that things are going to be easy. Trying to do the will of God does not mean that your life now will go smoother. In fact, it could be more difficult. Another example of that. How about in the book of Revelation, all those Christians? Why are they being slain? For the cause of Christ. For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ is what Revelation says. What have they done wrong? Just trying to serve God. And yet they're dying for it. We've studied it in Jeremiah, haven't we? What's Jeremiah done wrong? His life's miserable at this point. Why? Because he's preaching what God told him to preach. How about Stephen? Was he done wrong? He's just proclaiming what God told him to proclaim. We have to get that into our minds that doing God's will does not mean that things are going to get better. It just doesn't necessarily work out that way. So often the servants of God, because they're doing God's will, things get harder for them. We should not be surprised as we are Christians and we try to do what is right, like in the workplace, that that's not going to cause things to be more difficult for us. As we try to be upright and not lie and deceive, but be truthful and do what is honest work and do the things that are required of our job, there's going to be some problems with that. We shouldn't be surprised if we have problems with neighbors and friends because we speak the truth and do what is right and tell people about the love of Christ and there'll be resistance and problems with that. Sometimes we just think, well, it's just going to be so much better if I would just do these things and, and, and friends. So often it can be really so much worse. As I've shared with you many times, I usually say it to every single person I've, I baptize as they come up out of the water, I'll tell them, Now, you know, Satan's going to come after you now, right? You change teams. Satan doesn't just go, oh, okay. There's no doubt he's going to try to bring you difficulties as you attempt to serve God. And it's interesting that God allows that just as you see that happening here, is of God's intention that these things are playing out this way, that there would be difficulties in deliverance. It's not going to be easy, but this is not only going to be a test for Pharaoh, but as we're going to see, it's going to be a test for the people as well. This really sets up the showdown of what this book is going to do, at least in the first half of it, and ultimately asking the question, who is in charge? Notice this parallel in laying it out back in verse 1. Moses and Aaron, they come to Pharaoh and here's what the words are. Thus says the Lord. Watch how Pharaoh responds in verse 10. Thus says Pharaoh. (laughs) That's how that plays out. God says this, but I say this. Friends, this is really the ultimate battle of life. Who's in charge? Is it thus says the Lord, or is it thus says me? Because that's what Pharaoh says. Yeah, I don't know who this God is. I don't care. Who is he to tell me what to do? Thus says Pharaoh, this is the way it's going to go. I have no regard for what God says. Here's what it's going to be. Here's what I say is going to happen. And it's easy to rule our life that way and think, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. thus says I it's going to be about me and that's what Pharaoh does And I want us to recognize something in this because God is revealing something here in chapter 5 that really is revealed all throughout the scriptures for us is constantly pictured to us and it's this simple truth that took me 40 how old am I? two years (laughs) to figure out and remember You know how often we think of unbelief as simply a lack of information? Well, if they just knew. If they just had more information, then they would come to an understanding and know. Notice this showdown here has nothing to do with the amount of information that one has or doesn't have. Unbelief is simply this, rebellion. The scriptures define it that way over and over again. I'll show you a place in just a moment. I don't know why it took me so long just to you know connect. I always hold you know unbelief and rebellion are over here two separate camps. You know you know God, you say I don't want to, and then here's the people who don't know at all, and no, God never lays it out like that. Obviously, this Pharaoh doesn't have some intimate knowledge of the true and living God. And yet the point is not, well, he just needs some information. If we just, you know, Moses, just go sit down and have a Bible study with Pharaoh. and We can explain all this to him. Unbelief is rebellion. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in regards to that. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, once you have ended that with, so you see they were not to enter because of disobedience. And so you go, okay, okay, no. What is all that called? It's all summed up as unbelief. What's at stake that the writer of Hebrews is speaking about when the people are in the wilderness and what's at stake here in regards to Pharaoh is that unbelief is the desire to listen to ourselves and not listen to God. That's ultimately what unbelief is. We do not believe enough in God to submit our will to Him and do what He says. Therefore, I say, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's why it's called unbelief. Disobedience is unbelief. Rebellion is unbelief. Doing what we want to do is unbelief. That's what Jesus was dealing with when He speaks to the Pharisees and tells them. That's unbelief. That's the problem. I remember, loved that line in, in John 2 where uh, the people believed in Jesus or entrusted themselves to Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them or entrust himself to them, John 2, because he knew what was in their heart. It's the very point. is that Here we are talking about this is the essence of the problem. This is why we disobey. This is why we sin. Ultimately, what the question boils down to as to why we sin, why we disobey, is simply this Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? That is the battle every single day. Is what we are battling within ourselves is that very question Who is the Lord that I should have to do what he says? And when we sin, our answer is. Me, I don't have to listen to him. I want to do what I want to do. I'm in charge. I will choose to do what I want to do. I will choose my path. I will make my own decisions. I will make my own choices. Who does God think he is that he can tell me that I can't do what I want to do? And this is the essence of what Pharaoh is doing and what God is going to deal with in these upcoming chapters as he's going to answer this, is deal with this very issue. So we go forward in Exodus over the next few weeks as we move through Exodus. I'm going to keep returning to this line in chapter 5 verse 2 because this is what God is doing. Because Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And God's going to answer and say, let me show you. And I'm going to give you a number of reasons why you need to obey his voice and stop listening to your own voice and stop putting yourself on the throne and saying, I am God and nobody can tell me what to do. In fact, notice God's first answer to this because we see the four men, they turn to Moses. You guys are ruining the thing. You've made it worse for us. We already were miserable here. Now you've come and and God be judged to you that you've made this worse for us. Moses turns to the Lord. Why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. How's God going to respond to this? Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this, his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham. To Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Do you notice how God started and ended that discussion? (laughs) He says, here's what you need to know. I am the Lord. Now remember, we got a good tutorial on that back in chapter (laughs) 3. When Moses wants to know about who is this God, God says, here's all you need to know about me. I am. And God just drops that and then explains what that means. And if you remember our discussion in chapter 3, what that meant was, I'm with you here, I'm with you there, and I'm with you everywhere you go because I keep my word and I keep my promises and I am a God of deliverance. I am a God of rescue and I have come to save. That's what all that chapter 3 was doing. is saying, His name, I am the Lord means God is there to rescue and save. That's why he begins this way. And notice how he lays it out. Verse 2, here's my answer. We'll start with verse 1. I'm going to do something. You are going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. Verse one strong hand. I'm going to send them out the strong hand. I'm going to drive them out. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to rescue them. Well, what's that going to look like? What's that going to mean? Well, notice that's all about what his name is. Verse two, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. This is our covenantal God. This is the covenant that he made with him. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, If you know Genesis, you're going to read that and go, wait a minute. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You can run back through Genesis, and it's not going to be the first time you see your capital, the Lord. It's not like it was always... Elohim, God, all throughout Genesis. And now suddenly we get a new name here, the Lord. And we go, oh, okay. In fact, this is a text that is often used as a contradiction to say the Bible should not be accepted because here God says, I didn't speak my name before, but now I give it to you. I am the Lord. And, but you can run to Genesis and you can find it there. He did say the Lord before. What's God saying? It's not talking about name. It's not talking about Yahweh. I never used YHWH ever before. And now I've chosen to show it to you. It's not the point. The point is, where up to this point has God showed what that name means? And He's about to show what that name means. I didn't reveal what Yahweh means in the book of Genesis. But you are going to see what that name means when these people are set free by a mighty hand. That's why we did that in chapter 3 and we spent all that time because I am the Lord means God is there here, there, everywhere to rescue and deliver. And God says, now you're going to see what that means. You might have known the name, but you haven't seen what that means. And you're about to see it. And that's what he's telling them there in verse 3. Verse 4, I've established my covenant with them. We've talked about this. God makes a promise. He's going to keep it. Verse 5, I've heard the groaning of my people. I've remembered my covenant. Verse 6, this is why God keeps saying, you go tell the people these words. I am the Lord. We read that and go, what? What? Because that means his presence is here, there and everywhere to rescue with power and might. You just go tell them the Lord and that should be sufficient. They'll understand that that's who I am and that's what I do. That's my very character. In fact, notice the promises God makes in verses six through eight. Amazing declarations are made here about what God is going to do. Notice God does not say, I am the Lord, therefore you do this, 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 and this, and this. How amazing is it when God does this? He says, I'm the Lord, and there are now seven I will statements. I am going to do seven things. Verse 6, I will bring you out out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob and I will give it to you for of possession I am the Lord those seven things is what it means for God to say I'm the Lord and that's what he tells Moses just go tell them that when you hear God's name the Lord those seven things are supposed to go I know what that means He remembers his covenant, he does what he says, he's come to rescue, he's going to save us, he's going to bring us into the land, he's going to do everything that he said. God will do what he says. When Moses goes to the people and tells them this great message... Tell them I'm going to bring them out from the burdens of Egypt, verse 6. I'll deliver them from slavery, verse 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment, verse 6. I will take you to be my people, verse 7. I will be your God, verse 7. You will know that I am the Lord who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will bring you into the land, verse 8, that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'll give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord, verse 9. The Moses spoke thus, to the people of Israel wouldn't you imagine there would be great rejoicing and here it is God has remembered us and here's all he's going to do he's going to bring us out of now slavery is going to be wonderful Moses speaks all these things in verse 9 notice what it says and they did not listen to Moses and I read that and I go why? why wouldn't you listen? God is saying, "I now's the time." Go back to even verse one. You're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Oh man, are they? <laughs> They're going to see what God's going to do to Pharaoh. Verse nine. They did not listen to Moses because of their broken slavery. I mean, their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. <clears throat> They stopped believing because life got hard. God has made all of these promises. Moses goes to the people and says, the Lord has spoken. Here's what his name means. He's going to rescue. He's going to save. He's going to bring us out of the slavery. He's going to bring us into the land. He's going to be our God. We're going to be his people. We're going to possess it. And the people did not listen because life was hard. Do we do that? We're to still have faith, even when life disappoints, even when life doesn't go according to plan. I dare say that there would hardly be a person in here who would raise their hand and say, my life is going completely according to plan. If it is, you're probably under 18. (laughs) I mean, nobody's vision of how it was all going to go. It hasn't gone like that. And to some it's been small detours, and some it's been whole new railroad tracks. I mean, it's just you know, it just didn't go the way you thought. And you layer on that that sometimes the reason why is what we've seen in chapter five, because you're doing what God told you to do. You're trying to do what God says, you're trying to be faithful, you're trying to be righteous, you're trying to live the upright life, you're trying to be obedient to God. And things get hard. And that can cause us to lose faith. When you read this, is not your response to read this and say, how sad it is that these people would give up on God because life had become so difficult. How sad it is that they would ignore God's message of redemption and rescue because life was not going going according to plan because God was not acting in the way they thought God should. I mean, that ultimately is what it lines up with. Everybody thought God was going to do it this particular way. He's just going to come in. We're going to walk out of here. Now slavery is worse. The foremen are yelling at Moses. Moses is yelling at God. This isn't what we said. Why did you send me here? This is all going wrong. Everybody is critical here now of what God is doing. And we read this because we know They're on the cusp of rescue. I mean, we just have to turn a page and it's plug one. I mean, we we know. We we read this and we're just blown away. You're right there. You're about to be rescued any moment. God is not just kidding around and saying, that's going to be a really long time. It's right now and they won't believe. They lose heart and they give up. And friends, I want us to recognize that God has given us what we read there in verses 6 through 8, all the very same promises that are made there, made to us. The very same things that God is promising and what redemption looks like as He speaks to Israel is the template of what God says He's going to do for the world in saving them. Here is God saying, here's all I have to do. I'm going to do all these things. Notice God does not come and say, okay, I need you to do this big long list and when you get there, I'll consider coming to your rescue. All God is saying is, just sit still and watch and I'm going to deliver you guys. Just believe in the Lord and watch the rescue I'm about to accomplish. And Moses says, alright, it's the Lord. I mean, what did Moses say that they had to do anything? And they won't listen to what Moses says. And friends, there comes a time, I think, in every person's life, every faithful person who wonders if God sees us and if God cares. Just like these people in Israel are wondering in Egypt if God sees and God cares. Is he really there for me? And God's answer is, I am the Lord. I am your God. You are my people. And we are to believe in him when life disappoints. And it's amazing that one of the answers that God gives as to who is this God that we should listen to Him and obey Him is His answer of, I love you and I've come to rescue you from your troubles. That's the message to Israel. Why should Israel listen? Because I've come to save you. That's why you should listen. Because I'm going to save you with mighty works. And I'm going to bring you out with a mighty hand. We should listen to him because he is God Almighty. And he has not forgotten us. The New Testament sets this very scene as well. We're going to end if you'll turn over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. As you're going to notice, they're the same redemption message. Luke 1. We'll set a little context here. If you remember, Zechariah is going to be the father of John the baptizer. He's mute at this point. And upon his birth and this naming of the child, he's now allowed to open his mouth. And he utters this prophecy beginning in Luke 1, verse 67. And listen to the words of what is promised about our Lord and Savior and how similar it is to what we've just read in Exodus. Luke 1.67, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. For he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. All our days and you child will be called the prophet of the most high and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Notice not only how verse 68 opens with the Lord has visited us to redeem us, which is exactly what Moses is telling Israel. The Lord is visiting us. He's come to redeem us. He's come to save. But then notice verse 72. To remember His holy covenant that He swore to His father Abraham. What is Moses telling the people? God has remembered His covenant. The covenant that He made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He's remembered His covenant. He's come to rescue. He's come to save. Verse 74. What does that mean? That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Who is this God that we should obey him? The answer ultimately is, is how could we not want to obey him? When you see the picture of redemption. God is saying, I know what you're going through and I've come to save you. Do not lose heart. Do not give up faith. You have great and precious promises in your grasp. And do not be like these in Israel who at the moment of deliverance are already no longer listening to Moses. And as long as it may seem in our lives that we walk this earth, we are not that far from eternity. We are on the cusp of going home and being with God and enjoying redemption. Let us hold fast to the promises that have been given to us. We'll sing a song now and we invite you to bow the knee and praise and worship the Almighty God by serving Him in fear, by obeying Him with all of your heart. Listening to self is unbelief. Doing what we desire is unbelief. Trusting the promises of God and listening to His Word follow Him with all of your heart displays belief. Will you turn to Him tonight be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and walk faithfully with Him. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing.